Well, as we said before, good morning and happy Resurrection Sunday. Uh, our text today is going to be found in the Gospel of Matthew, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and uh, head that direction. We'll be right near the end of uh, Matthew's Gospel in chapter 27, and we're going to pick up in verse 57. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 57, and we're going to read several verses today. We're going to uh, finish out Matthew 27, and we're going to head into Matthew 28 and read uh, a little bit about the resurrection. And today I want to talk a little bit about the emptiness of Easter. The emptiness of Easter, and I I don't want you to misunderstand, so I'm going to clarify right at the outset. I am not saying, I am not implying that that the resurrection was an event that was devoid of meaning. I'm not attacking the term Easter, as some people do, but rather in my my time that I was studying this week and, and in my as I was praying and, and thinking about things, I noticed that there are three big events or places or, or activities that are utterly empty in one form or another. And interestingly enough, it's the empty stuff that surrounds the resurrection that really shows us how, how rich and full and meaningful the resurrection is. Now, I realize that I'm probably kind of confusing you. It's probably kind of a little hazy, so hopefully... It'll be clear by the time that we get done. So if you found Matthew 27, if you're able, I'd ask you to stand as we read God's Word. We'll pick up in verse 57 and read uh, through the end of the resurrection account. Now this is just after Jesus was crucified on Good Friday. It says, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was alive, that deceiver said, After three days, I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure along with the guard they set. Sorry. And they went and made the grave secure. And along with the guard they set a seal on the stone. After the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, I am going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say his disciples came by night 
and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the first empty thing that I want you to see is empty tries. Empty tries. The powers that be, and and if you'll notice at the end of chapter 27, the powers that be tried to make sure Jesus stayed dead. I mean, they, they, they made sure that he died. They made sure that as far as they as far as they could that he stayed dead and that he stayed in the grave. But if you look at verses 62 and following, you'll see that Jesus made quite an impression on these religious leaders. That they were concerned that that something was going to happen on the third day. Now we don't know exactly what they believed, but they believed something big was going to happen, and so uh, and so they they made plans to try and take care of that problem before it ever started. Now these were the guys that opposed Jesus while he was ministering. These are the guys that would try and catch him in, a, in some sort of a trap. That he, They would try to uh, trip him up. They'd ask him hard questions. And they got mad at him for not going along with the rules. They got jealous because they lost influence. And so people started following Jesus and, and not listening to them as much. And, and they hated him for it. And so they came to Pilate after he's dead. And, and they say, you know what, Pilate? You have, and this is my... This is my uh, expansion of what they said it's recorded in scripture you have a vested interest in this jesus not being reported as being alive same as we do so we need some help in stopping this movement that jesus has started so we want some muscle to guard the tomb now Pilate's response is a little unclear because grammatically it could be two different things it could be you already have your own temple police you, you have a guard go and take care of it yourselves or it could be uh you have this need okay here's here's some here's some soldiers Go take care of it. I think, I think since they promised the guards would, uh, that they would win over the Roman governor if, if word came to him that Jesus wasn't there anymore, I think these were probably Roman soldiers. Okay, so, so these Roman soldiers, or, or some, some number of soldiers, go to guard the tomb. And here's the first empty try. They tried to secure the tomb with soldiers. Now understand, these soldiers were not rent-a-cops. These soldiers were not mall police. You ever been in Battlefield Mall? They come zooming up on their Segway and their helmet. That's not what these guys were. These were not Barney Fife. These were trained, killing machines. The, the Roman Legion, and we've probably all heard about the, the Roman Legion. They were legendary in their time. They're still legendary. They, they, were, they were so powerful on the battlefield... There were times in history they took on armies ten times their size, and they won. These guys were legit. I mean, they were bad dudes. And the powers that be thought, you know what? If, if we will put several of these men at the tomb to guard it, ain't no way nobody's getting in there. But you'll notice they didn't just try to make it secure with soldiers. They also used to seal. Look at verse 66. Now, I'm not talking about the sea animal. Notice what it says. It says, and along with the guard... They set a seal on the stone. And we don't know exactly what that looked like, but most likely what this was, it, now the, the seal wasn't some sort of like a padlock or something like that that would, that would have extra physical strength, but rather it was most likely a, uh, the, the stone was probably secured in some way and fastened with wax. And that wax was imprinted with the, the government seal. The same thing happened in Daniel chapter 6. You remember when he was thrown to the lion's den? Um, the, the Bible says that, that that stone was sealed 
And then the, the, the king put his signet ring in it. And the, the signet ring of all his nobles, there was that imprint so that nothing would be changed in regards to Daniel. And that seems to be what's happening. It's, it's a not very subtle message that this is something that Rome has sealed. And if you unseal it, you're not just messing with the, 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 the people, you're messing with Rome. And if you ever heard of the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, you'll know that they took these things very seriously. If you mess with Rome, they crucify you. So, so here we have these, these soldiers that are meant to guard the grave. We have this seal, the, the whole Roman government saying, you better not mess with this tomb. And we know how, how well that all worked, don't we? That all, that all that work, all that effort that was put into it was all for naught because the res- resurrection was going to happen whether Rome wanted it to or not. The resurrection was going to happen whether or not the religious leaders uh, uh, agreed with it. It didn't matter if the govern- govern- government opposed it. It didn't matter, matter if the religious elite sanctioned it. God was going to do what God was going to do. This was an empty try, and what happened? Look at verse uh, chapter 28. What happened? Well, an angel happened. An angel descended and rolled away the stone. He didn't care about a seal. Can you imagine if the angel would have come down out of heaven? He's going to roll away a stone and said, Oh, Rome put a seal on it. I better not mess with it. Whoop, go back up. No, he was on the king's business. The king of glory, he was there to roll away the stone. He didn't care about a wax seal. And those, those guards, those, those soldiers, you think, well, these guys are killers. These guys are, are trained, battle-hardened men. I bet they would overcome that angel. It was just one of them, one, one of him. And we don't know how many guards, but several. What did they do? The Bible says that the angel's appearance was, was, was so terrifying that these guards trembled and quaked and became like dead men. I take that to mean they fainted. Can you imagine? And we see angels and we say, oh, how sweet, because we see little babies with the, the rosy red cheeks and the, and, the, and the wings and playing the harps and things. But that's not going to make a legionnaire faint. I mean, this is a terrifying angel. He is powerful. He's mighty. And he came and he was, uh, there, there were no shots fired. There was no loss of blood. The angel showed up. The men were terrified. The stone was rolled away. And, and, and there was not so much as a bit of effort on God's part. And all the man's efforts to try and fight God's plan was nothing. God was going to do what God was going to do. And what's more is all these preparations only serve to verify the resurrection. And here's what I mean. When criminals were crucified... See, in, in, our, in our country and in our culture, we can't think of anybody not being buried. I mean, even, even the worst criminal, they go to the electric chair. They don't do electric chairs anymore. They, they go to the lethal injection. Even, even the worst criminals, we'll put them in the ground, right? But Rome didn't do that. Crucified somebody, usually the way that body got off of the cross was in bits. What I mean is they would leave them stuck up there. And birds of, of prey would come down and they would, they would eat that body. The, the wild animals, the wild dogs would come and eat the body off the cross. And that's gross. I know putrefaction would happen. They didn't take the bodies down. And if a body was taken down, usually it was thrown to a, a common burial ground or, or, or even, even just thrown out into the trash heap. Now can you imagine 
What would have happened if Jesus would have been thrown into one of those common graves? If he would have been thrown to a trash heap with the other two criminals? What would, the, what would the chief priest say? Well, that wasn't Jesus that came back from the dead. That was somebody else. You guys are mistaken. They, they would have said somebody else rose from, from the dead. If the friends of Jesus would have been the ones to secure the tomb, and all of a sudden Jesus in there, what would, what would they say? You guys just said you secured the tomb. You, you, just, you just made like the tomb was secured. These guards are on your payroll. You all went in and, and took his body. Now you're saying he's alive. But yet, they were the ones that secured the tomb. The seal that the, the soldiers, uh, that, that they, they put on there, that kept even the soldiers from being bribed and saying, you know what, if, if you'll take this money and look the other way, we'll get in and take the body. You don't, you, you, well, you'll just, no, it's not hurting anybody. You'll get a little bit, ex, bit extra money. No, the, the guards, the, the guards verified that the uh, resurrection happened. The seal made it more sure. I mean, Pilate and the Jews both were satisfied that what they had done would keep anybody from taking this body. They, they were trying to make sure nobody got into the grave. And they succeeded. Nobody got in the grave, but somebody got out of the grave. And that was Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead, and the enemies of Christ went out of their way to make sure that didn't happen. They went out of their way to make sure there was no imposture. There, there was no possibility of theft or fraud of any kind. And their plan backfired because what they did just serves to verify the validity of the resurrection. So we have the empty tribes, but next I want you to see the empty tomb. The empty tomb, look at verse 6 of chapter 28. When we get to the tomb, they see the angel... He invites him in. What does he say in verse 6? He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said, Come, see the place where what? He was lying. Past tense. He doesn't say, Come and look at the body of Jesus. He says, Look at where he used to be. He's not there anymore. It's past tense. They didn't see a body because Jesus bodily rose from the dead. That's the place where he had been lying. Now, the question becomes, why then? Why, why was the stone rolled away? You ever try to figure that out? Because the stone was not put there to, to, as some sort of a, a measure to make sure he didn't get stolen. That was just kind of the... the uh, that's just what they did back then. And, and even in our text, it says that Joseph of Arimathea was the one that rolled the stone up there. So why was this stone rolled away? Was it to let Jesus out into the world? No. Jesus, there were later times whenever the disciples would be gathered together in locked rooms. And Jesus would appear in their midst. Doors and, and walls and those things, they were not a barrier to him. Now this was the same body that, that was buried, but there were some vast differences in the resurrection. So then why was the stone rolled away? Well, it wasn't to let Jesus out into the world. It was to let the world into the tomb. It, it, was, it, it was one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection is that the tomb is empty. And, and even the people, the enemies of Christ, those who hated him that lived whenever this was going on, did not deny this fact. Because understand, if the tomb was still occupied, and here's Peter out, out at, at, at the portico of Solomon. He's, he's, he's healing people, and all these people are, are amazed, and, and he's preaching. The, the religious leaders could say, I don't know what you're talking about. We have his tomb right here. Come and see. His body is not his. His body is still there. Here it is, and they could parade it out. 
Even his enemies at the time did not deny the empty tomb. And so, so why is it empty? And people today still have to wrestle with that. Why is the tomb empty? Maybe you're struggling with, with the claims of Christ. What say you? Why is the, why is the grave empty? So these people, they, they hated Christ. And they acknowledged there's nobody in there. And listen, if he was dead and he was buried and now he's not buried, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. Jesus rose from the dead. Now, we've seen empty tries. They, they tried in vain to secure the tomb with soldiers and with the seal. We've seen the empty tomb. The last thing I want you to see is empty talk and empty tales. So, so they, did all their, they had all their efforts to make sure that Jesus died, that he was, he was stone cold dead, and that he stayed in the grave. We've seen that that didn't do, that all their efforts did was serve to validi- uh, give validity to the claim of the resurrection. And the last thing I want you to see is that, that they had to come up with some explanation as to why Jesus wasn't in the grave anymore. Because it's obvious that he's not there, so, so how, do we make, how do we make sense of this? What can we tell people so that they would believe in something besides the resurrection? Well, look at what, look what the uh, soldiers did. While they were going, verse 11, some of the guard went and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. So they get there, they're telling about the angel, they're telling about the, uh, the earthquake, they're telling about all of it. Well, that causes a bit of a stir. What are we going to do? How are we going to respond to this? Now, I want you to notice what the chief priests and Pharisees do not do. They went to Pilate, remember three days earlier, and they said, he claimed he's going to rise from the dead on day three. The guards come and say, an angel came down from heaven, there was an earthquake, stone was rolled away, ain't nobody in there. The chief priests and scribes didn't say, you know what, we better go check this out, repent and believe. They didn't do that, did they? Instead, they came up with a way to deny the resurrection. These people were actively rejecting the Son of God. So to try to get ahead of things, they did two things. First, um, if, if you'll notice at the end of verse 12, they got out their, their checkbooks. They gave the, the guards a large sum of money. And second, they came up with a nonsensical story to explain the empty tomb. And the thing is, people today believe this kind of nonsense. And I say it's nonsense. I'm not trying to be offensive. But I'm saying it because that's what it is. It, is. it is patently false on its face. So let's look at what they said. Let's just see how, how much sense this makes. Look at verse 13. And they said, you're to say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And this should come to the governor's ears. We'll win him over and keep you out of trouble. So what are some problems with that story? Well, first, this, the disciples supposedly stole him while they were asleep. You say, okay, well, what's wrong with that? We don't know what's going on when we're asleep. Right? I mean, how many of you have ever had somebody, or you've seen videos where somebody puts shaving cream in, in somebody's hand and they take their nose and they swat it and get all kinds of shaving cream all over their face? Some of you have probably... Uh, had somebody whenever you were asleep, maybe some friends, maybe people in your youth group, mess with you when you were asleep. 
Why did they? How, why did they do that? How did they get away with it? Because when you're asleep, you don't know what's going on. This is like going to somebody's house, knocking on the door, and from inside you hear somebody say, "No one's home." It is a it is a self-refuting lie on the surface. It's nonsense. If they were asleep, they wouldn't know what happened, and if they were awake, why didn't they stop it? Now, we don't know what's happening when we're asleep because we're asleep. Second, they said they came by night, stole the body while we were asleep. So, okay, Pastor, you just got through saying that. Just got through hammering at home the fact that they didn't, wouldn't know what happened when they were asleep, so this makes no sense. But I want you to, I'm going to give you a piece of historical fact that will show you why, why this is kind of a big deal. What is the likelihood, do you think? We don't know how many guards there were. There were several. What is the likelihood opinion that every one of them went to sleep at the same time. On top of that, here's what Rome did. If you were a soldier and you slept when you were on duty, guess what they did? They killed you on the spot. So here we have all these, all these soldiers who know that if they sleep, they die. And all of them supposedly go to sleep at the same time. And then, they know who it is that comes and takes the body, somehow. And this was a really deep sleep. Because here's this huge stone that's got to get moved. Man, you ever try to move something heavy? What do you do? Right? I mean, you're grunting. You're moving. Even if they were silent, that rock's going to make noise. And then you got all these people that are moving in, in the night, bumping into each other, running into things, picking up a corpse and taking it out. And they're sleeping the whole time. It makes zero sense. It's foolishness. It, it, was, it was clear that this was a story. The story doesn't make sense on any level because the tomb was empty because Jesus rose from the dead. His body was not stolen. The guards didn't sleep. Jesus laid down his life and he took it back up again. He's the son of God. He can do that. We cannot. It, was, it, it, it is the central event, the, the linchpin of the Christian faith. Paul says if Christ is not raised, our faith is worthless. But if Christ is raised, Christians, we have a unique and a special faith. Because there's, there's, no, other, there's no other faith, no other religion has a risen Savior. There are people who, 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 who follow Muhammad or Krishna or, or Buddha or any of the others. And you can go and you can stand at their grave. And they're dead. And if they can't overcome death, how are they going to help you overcome death? They can't. There's only one who has overcome death, and that is Jesus Christ. And we're the only ones who have a unique risen Savior. You say, well, Pastor, that seems awful narrow. Are you saying that's the only right way? Yes. That is the only right way. You cannot be a Christian and deny the resurrection. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, if you'll confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And that's why I call on you to, you to do today. If you've never done that, if you've never confessed Jesus as Lord, if you've never believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can do that today. Repent of your sin. Put your faith in Christ. 
There's no distinction, no difference between men and women, children and adults, Jew or Gentile. He's the same Lord over all. The question is, is he your Lord? Christian, is he your master? You say, he's my Savior. Is he your master? Have, have you ever bowed the knee to him? The Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come? As you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around in the quiet of this time. I just ask you, have you ever put your faith in Christ? Maybe you've heard the gospel a bunch of times. Maybe it's just a couple times. Maybe you think that all ways will get you to heaven. That is wrong. There is one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's not narrow that God gave one way. It's, a, it's a, an act of grace that he gave anyway. You can't just go to any address and get to the right person's house. You can't call any phone number and get to the person you're trying to reach. You can't just go any old way and get to God. There's one way. Pastor, I've got a lot of questions. I'd be happy to talk to you after the service. You may not have all the answers. There's one thing I know. Jesus came to save sinners. And I'm at the front of that line. And if you'll put your faith in him, You'll turn to him with, as the song says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Cast yourself on his mercy and his grace, you'll be saved. Jesus himself said, the one who comes to me, I'll in no wise, I'll never cast out. Those of us who are Christians, Folks, we have all kinds of stuff in this, in this world, in this culture that, that hammers our faith, that tells us it's foolishness. It is an historical fact. Jesus rose from the dead. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's something to stand firm on. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful that we don't have just kind of uh, squishy feelings, taking a guess, taking, put, putting, uh, taking a step out into the dark. It's not a hope so faith, but it's an I know so faith. Because we know that Jesus rose from the dead. And God, if there's somebody that's hearing me today that has never accepted Christ as their Savior. I pray that you would draw them to yourself. God, I ask that you would help them to, to cast aside the, the fear of what people might say, what people might think, and turn wholly to you.
Lord, for those of us who are believers, I pray that you would strengthen our faith. Help us to not be offensive in our, our, uh, in our manner, in the way that we tell people about Christ. Because we know the gospel is offensive enough. But help us to be bold. God, again, we just thank you for all your blessings. In Jesus' name.